0: This year, we're, uh, we're focusing on what's next. We're, we're talking about the restoration. And so often we think in these terms at a funeral. I know a lot of the sermons that we'll be preaching this year are based upon texts that I have typically preached at funerals as we are thinking about where this loved one has Gone and where they are, and we need to spend more time thinking about that. I, I was convicted by by that fact about a year ago now, as, as I was praying through what does God want us to do in 2016, and it was it became very clear to me that God wants us to think about and focus on what's next. Why? Because if if our future is heaven and we need to be living now on earth as it is in heaven. We need not only just pray the Lord's Prayer, we need to live out what it is we are praying for. Understand, God wants us to live for what's best. We are His children. He loves us. He wants us to have what's best. We cannot live and we cannot have what's best until we're living in light of what's next. And so that's that's where we're going this year. That's where I want us to really draw our attention today. I don't know if you've heard or not, but there's a football game tonight. Has anybody heard anything about a ball game that's going on this, this evening, you know? Millions of people will be watching this game, and different folks will be watching it for different reasons. You know, there are some people who are actually Carolina fans. I know it sounds crazy, but they're actually, and Denver fans, right? They're actually out there. I don't know how many we have here, but but there are some, and they're going to be watching the game because they want to see their team play. There are some people who are going to watch this game tonight to watch the commercials. Show of hands, who's watching for the commercials tonight? Yeah? I mean, It happens you need therapy but I'm glad that you're gonna be watching the yeah, I hate commercial but these are actually these are actually these are actually pretty good. And then there are some who just love football. I, I love football. I love, I love the, the, the the game. It did so much for my life in, in terms ter- ter- of teaching me leadership and discipline and those sorts of things. So I enjoy just watching the game. And so folks like me who are just watching because they like football, we're going to find ourselves finally cheering for a specific team. You, you just watch. There's going to be something that will happen. There will be a story that's told about a specific player, and, and, and it will get you to think, oh, I want this team to win. I, I, like, I like this guy. Or – some of you are going to cheer for a team because your your buddy is cheering for that team, and so you're going to cheer against them like any good friend would do, right? Just so you can send them texts and aggravate them for the entire game, unless they're at your house or you're at their house, and then you can just dance, you know, and just aggravate them or whatever it is you do to, to show your friend that you really love them, right? You know, there's some who are people that are like my grandmother. Whoever was the underdog, that's who she would root for. If it was like, you know, again, you know, they're, they're probably going to lose. So I have a feeling, based on all what everyone's been saying on the radio, that my grandmother would be cheering for the the Denver Broncos uh, this game. I hear that they're, they're maybe not supposed to do as well. And I cannot believe it, even though the quarterback from the University of Tennessee is, is, is manning this team literally, I'm cheering for them as well. I cannot believe it. UC fans, yes, I'm cheering for Peyton Manning tonight, and all the Kentucky fans said, you worthless, you sorry, don't tell anybody Vanderbilt this is happening either, I'll get revoked, right?" But then there are some people like my son Asher, and um, they will only, and not everyone's like this, but he's definitely like this, they will, they will only cheer and root for the team that's going to win. You say, does Asher know who's going to win? No. But whoever wins, you can know that's who he was cheering for. Because what he does is he, he decides as the game's going on who he's actually cheering for, right? So don't ask him because he'll just say, uh, "Yeah, whoever's going to win, that's who I'm cheering for," and he'll switch sides. He is a fair weather fan. Just be clear about that, all right? He is going to be cheering for the winner. So if the team he's going for at one moment begins to lose, he turns on them. He wants to be on the winning team. He hates to lose. He wants to be on the winning team. And, you know, and, and we, we all want to be on the winning team. We all like to win. It's a part of how God designed us, and that's probably why many of us are Christians. I know it's one of the reasons I'm a Christian. Is because when you come to having saving faith in Jesus Christ and all your sin is forgiven and the Holy Spirit lives in you and you are sealed till the day of judgment and you are God's, you are on the winning team. And so in light of that, we need to understand what that means. We need to understand what the restoration is going to look for us, because this victory that is coming is unlike any victory that has been ever been won. There will never be anything like this ever again. And so we need to live. Thanks about it, anticipating it, and also knowing what it is. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to the last book of the Bible. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21, and, and Jake who's going to read for us. So Jake, why don't you come on up, buddy? Go to Revelation chapter 21. We're actually going to look at texts around that as well, but we're going to uh, read verses 1 through 6. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And here's this beautiful description of the restoration, uh, uh, Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Go ahead, Jake.
1: Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and there will be his." People and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all new things. Also He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment.
0: The word of God. Well done, Jake. If you would go ahead and be seated. I'm going to make sure you get this. It's important that you understand this. If you don't get or understand anything else, understand this. Jesus Christ is coming again. I know that for a fact. You say, how, how do you know he's coming again? Because he came the first time. And he came in exactly the way and the time and for the purpose that God said he would. We look at the Old Testament, and what do we see? We see the promise of the coming of the Christ, the promise of the coming of the Messiah, and we see in the coming of Jesus Christ the fulfillment of those promises, when he would be born, where he would be born, why he had come, what he was going to accomplish. All of it is there in God's Word, and God kept his promise. Now, in the Old and in the New, we read that Jesus is coming again. He came the first time. The, the, at the time, in the way, and for the purpose, God said, He's coming again. And He's going to come in a way that we need We need to be mindful of. And we need to understand when and how Jesus will return and understand what He's going to do. So take notice. as we look at this text. Write this down. Jesus Christ will return. First of all, when it appears, it appears that evil has won. When it appears, evil has won. Let's go back a chapter. Go back uh, to Revelation chapter twenty, and let's pick up in verse seven, and let's let's walk through this this morning. It says, "And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and will come out and." See the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them from for the battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. When it comes to millennial views, there are there are different views. I tend to teach what I learned at Lipscomb University, where I got my seminary degree. I know you've probably heard of postmillennialists and amillennialists and pre-millennialists. and what we learned and what we were taught, and what I typically teach when I preach is panmillennialism. And what that basically means is it's all going to pan out. We don't need to get too worked up and upset either way. We don't need to divide over this issue. Uh, if I'm honest, I, I, I like the idea of post-millennialism. I like the idea that we are going to usher in the kingdom with all the, the good things that are going to happen. I don't see that happening in Scripture or in reality. I want to be an amillennialist, quite honestly, and read the book of Revelation as though all these things have happened when the city of uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 and that we're kind of living in the aftermath of the bowls. but that doesn't really... Uh, That doesn't really suit the reading of Scripture. Because, see, I I believe Scripture teaches that Jesus Christ can come at any moment. I believe Jesus said, be ready for me to come at any moment. And, and I believe that God is a promise-keeping God, and He's made a lot of promises that need to be kept. And I believe the, that what is going to happen is this. I believe I believe there's going to be a rapture. I believe in a pre-tribulation. I believe there will be seven years of tribulation. The church will be removed. I believe then that there will be a thousand year reign, and God will keep all of His promises. And then the enemy will be released, and then there will be the new heaven and the new earth. And so regardless of your millennial belief, no matter where, what camp, you kind of fall in. Let's let's put speculation aside. Let's deal with the observation that, that John has of when Jesus returned. Understand, there will be a moment when it appears that all hope is lost because the people of God are surrounded by His enemies. You know, one of the reasons why almost every generation believes that, that Jesus will return in their day and time is because there there's always, almost always, a great evil at work in our world. There's always suffering. There's always war and pain and difficulty of, of, of any kind. And so we often, you go back and you read, uh, almost every generation thinks that their generation is the one in which Jesus is going to return. And Scripture says that we need to be ready. He can return at any time. This picture we see in the text, though, it can be terrifying regardless of what you believe. But here's what we need to know. Our God is the God. And God has said, do not fear do not be afraid. Be ready, but do not be afraid. Regardless of your millennial view, what we to know God is in control. And He loves us. And there's never a moment when God cannot intervene, although He may not always. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, surrounded by enemies, fulfilling Psalm 22 as they divided his, his his clothing, as they pierced him. Remember Jesus on the night before he died, uh, the, the the suffering, the struggle. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples who wanted to fight, and they wanted a, a, an occupation of this world here and now. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But now, but how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? What did Jesus say? If God wanted to get me out of this, don't you know He could? But God had a purpose for the suffering of Jesus Christ. In order for us to be redeemed for our sin, Jesus had to suffer in our place. He had to be our vicarious, substitutionary atonement. He had to die so that we could live. And so He was here to fulfill the purpose of God not to be comfortable. But he, at any moment, he knew Hey, you know what, God could, God could step in. He could take care of this anytime he wanted to. Remember Elijah, when he was with his assistant, and they were surrounded by evil, and it looked as though there was no way they could get out of it. There was no way they could win. And yet, Elijah was comfortable, and he was confident, he was capable of, of seeing the situation for what it was, and so he starts to pray for his assistant. We read about this in 2 Kings 6, verse 16. He said, do not be afraid. He's talking to his assistant. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There was an army that he could not see of angels standing all around, protecting and providing for God's people. God is always there. God is always with us no matter what you go through, you're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. And if you do not believe that God loves you and God is with you, you're, you're going to not only suffer the anguish of the pain, but the despondency and the depression that comes because you cannot overcome what it is you're having to deal with. understand that God is with you. God is with you in your pain. He is with us. I had a professor when I was in college. whose son was killed in a car accident. And he, as a man, as a, as, as a, as a father, he struggled with this because his son died painfully, slowly, tragically. And I was going through a season of my own life as a young man, I wanted to leave the ministry, wanted to leave everything because I was angry and I didn't understand what God was doing. I was hurt. And I went to him and I said, "How, how do you make? It? How do you how do you do this?" And he told me, "Son, I live by two verses. He said these verses guide my life, and here's my hope: Psalm Psalm thirty four sixty seven. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The Lord God is with us. And no matter what we go through, He has a plan for our suffering. He has a plan for what's going on. God is defeating. He is defeating the enemy. He's defending us according to His purpose. His purpose may very well be that we suffer. Understand, God may save you from your pain and your trial and your hurt, but hear me. God also may save you through it. But he won't leave you. And so we we who have surrendered our lives to the Lord, we don't need to worry about how to defeat Satan and evil and the pain and all that's going on on our planet. We can trust that God has done that. What we can do is we can seek to live under the Lordship. We can seek to live as a way of honoring Him, trusting in His provision and His perfect plan. And I'm going to tell you, you can't do that if you're not regularly worshiping God on Sunday with God's people. You just can't. You say, well, I I can do this on my own. I can't. I can't. God didn't make you to do this on your own. We need to be reminded every single Sunday of who God is as we worship Him corporately with God's people, second thing we gotta have is we gotta have connection. We gotta have other people in our lives who will hold us accountable to believe in this God of the Bible. People who love us enough to say, listen, God may save you from this or He may save you through this, but either way, God is with us and can be in your life, who can be that accountability, that source of strength when you wanna give up. We gotta worship, we gotta connect, and we gotta serve we got to be a part of God's kingdom purpose in His local church. Serving sometimes serving the church and sometimes serving as the church. But always serving, always a part of what the winning team is seeking to accomplish. And equip. Look in your bulletin real quick, and, and you'll notice that we've got a number of equipped classes. Of course, I'm going to advertise mine. I'm going to be teaching a class on spiritual disciplines. You know, this summer I was on sabbatical, and one of the things I did is I took a doctoral class on spiritual disciplines. I want to share some of those things, but there's some great classes there that will enable you and I not only to grow in our faith, but be able to pursue in our own lives by ourselves, daily study and prayer so that we are equipped to do the work of the ministry, so that we are equipped as the saints of our God. Last, we've got to multiply. We've got to share our faith with those who don't know. We've got to help those that that, that are around us, where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we go to school, where we play, where we hang out. To anchor their life and hope in Jesus. And here's what happens, friends. As we worship and connect and serve and are equipped, and as we multiply the faith, we grow in our confidence in our God and who He is and what He's promised He will do. And He has promised He will win. Even though you may and you will be at some point surrounded by enemies, one day you're going to be surrounded by the worst enemy of all, and that is death. But in that moment, you need not fear. You can laugh at death and say, my God has overcome through the resurrection and I will be with Him soon. When we are surrounded by evil, here's what we can know. Our God is a restoring God. And one day, finally, permanently, triumphantly, when Jesus returns, He will make all things in a second. Jesus Christ will return with fire to purify the planet. He'll purify it with justice and judgment. In verse 9. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The final hell is a place of eternal punishment for both angels and humanity. When I say angels, I mean demons. I mean those fallen angels who have sided against God. This this talk of fire and sulfur, this is frequently described throughout the Old and New Testament to speak of divine judgment. Understand that, that, that fire is both punishment and a purifier. It is a, it is a punishment. It is a punishment for those who are the enemies of God. Jesus spoke often of hell. There's so many who want to make Jesus out to be some sissy who didn't have any background. Jesus often spoke of hell. Listen what he said in Matthew chapter 13. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus Himself, will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. He's talking about hell here, the eternal hell. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus said, you got to hear me on this. Those who are in the and exile, who are treasonous, who are living against God, will, will be punished. Every man, every woman, every demon will be punished for eternity. God is going to bring about this justice. God is going to bring about this, this purification for His glory. And, and He's also going to bring about judgment. Now, I know... And there may be some folks here, I've talked to people before who said, I, I can't worship a God who would send a person to an eternal hell. But my response to them and my response to you, if that is you today, then you can't worship the one true God. And I, I know in our postmodern existential uh, conversations that we live in that we all are being told that we can create any reality we want with our imagination. And God laughs at that. And he says, wake up from the joke because it's not funny. The God of the Bible, the one true God, has clearly said there are two sides, the losing side and the winning side. And those who stand in opposition to him will face justice. And it will be fire. There will be a purification also for, for all people. There is a judgment that occurs for, for all people, including believers. And we, we need to anticipate that. Write this down. Jesus Christ will return to judge His image bearers. He's going to judge everybody. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and and Him who was seated on it. From His presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The great white throne speaks of the purity and wisdom of God. The fact that earth and sky that, that it flees speaks of, of the fact that God is going. He's about to make all things new. Their books. These books are the actions, activities, and thoughts of every human being who's ever been on this planet. Please understand, God doesn't miss a uh, faith. Most of us have forgotten a majority of the sin that we have committed against God. God does not forget a thing. And our actions, our attitudes, our emotions, all of that is recorded in the book. There is also the book of life. This is the book that contains the names of everyone who repents and believes and who is saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And their sin, our sin, is not held against us because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. What is remembered is what we did for the kingdom of God. Not only are there levels of suffering in hell, there are also levels of glory in heaven. And for those who stand against God, the torment will be greatest for those who heard and rejected the gospel and who live lives of of great treason against the the, the high King of heaven. But for those of us who believe, our deeds done for the glory of God will be remembered and they will be reasons for us to give praise and glory to God and will give us reason to be able to, to come and present to Him what is rightfully His, which is all praise and honor. And we will do that forever and ever. We will join the multitude and the throngs of angels before the throne of God, and we will join in that ancient song of Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is our future. This is what's next. Jesus Christ, He's going to come. He's going to judge His image bearers. And and Jesus Christ will return, and when He does, He's going to restore harmony. And this harmony is going to be so much better than the original creation. What we read there in verses one through six, what Jake just read for us just a moment ago, this 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 experience is going to be so, so glorious for those of us who believe because unlike Adam and Eve, we will be able to contrast it with what we've had to live through. That's why we read there, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sadness. We are going to exalt and glory God unlike any of our our, forebearers could because they didn't know that before. We do. And so the praise that we're going to experience is going to be unlike anything else that has ever been seen because we all have made it through and we will be able to reflect on God's greatness and there will be harmony. We will have complete peace with God, complete peace with Him, complete peace with others and complete peace with creation. This is the gift of God. Please hear me. God is going to win. Write it down. It only makes sense to surrender to His side. There is heaven for the winners, and there is hell for those who refuse to surrender and are siding on the losing side. This is a guarantee. Look what Jesus said. Look at this. Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What's he saying? I'm guaranteeing this. Write it down. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is not trash talking. This is promise making and promise keeping. You know, in 1969, Joe Namath, three days before Super Bowl III, said, even though his team was picked to lose, that the Jets would beat the Indianapolis Colts in the Colts, rather, I think it was Baltimore, the Colts in the Super Bowl. He guaranteed it, and he did it. Now, he didn't throw a touchdown. He didn't even complete a pass in the fourth quarter, but he was still named the MVP of Super Bowl three simply because he made the promise, we're going to win. Now, he, did he know that for sure? Of course Not. I'm going to tell you who the greatest MVP of all is Jesus Christ. And He's already been named. And He's made this promise. And He is coming again. He has guaranteed the victory. Now here's the question. Are you on the winning team? Some, some, Some here right now, some of you hear me. You're cheering for and you're playing for the losing team. You're cheering on sin and you're living in sin and you're going to be held accountable for that sin and you will be separated from God forever in hell. But God is willing to forgive you. You must surrender your life to Christ. Some of you are my brothers and sisters in Christ and you have been redeemed of God. But here's what I know. There's a part of your life that you've not surrendered to God. Say, well, how do you know? Well, because. Because I read the Bible, and the Bible is constantly telling us that we've got to fight against this sin and we've got to surrender whatever's going on. And you say, well, how can I know what I need to surrender? It's easy. What is it that creates for you anger and anxiety? Whatever that is, it's not under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because when you've surrendered that to Christ, you may have concern, but never anger and never anxiety. Concern is being aware of the need. Anxiety and anger is taking responsibility for it and holding it in, in and of yourself. God called us to be free. So let me ask you, what what do you what do you need to surrender of your life today to be free? We're going to do something this morning. In just a minute our ushers are us going to come and they're going to give you a white flag. There's a Pen there in the pew, there's a pin that's going to be in the bucket. You're welcome to grab. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to. Evan's going to come and he's going to sing a song about the white flag, about surrender. As he does that, here's what I want to ask you to do. What do you need to surrender to God? What do you need to bring under His authority, under His lordship? This week, I knew we were doing this, and this week, I knew exactly what I needed to write down. And I'll tell you what I wrote down. The illusion of control. I needed to surrender that. From time to time. I don't know why. I think I'm God. I think I want to be God. And I think I want to be in control of everything that happens. And then God reminds me and says, You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Let me be God. And I wave the white flag. What do you what do you need to surrender to God today? Is it a person? Someone that's made you angry? Is it you? Do you need to surrender your life to Christ? Do you need to, you need to forgive yourself? Is there a, a part of your life that you need to surrender? Maybe it's, there's a sin in a part of your life that you think is quarantined off. Your mouth, your attitude, the way you spend money, the way you treat people, the way you think, what you do on the internet, what you do with your mind. I don't know. Here's what I ask you to do. As heaven comes to say, pray and then write down what it is you need to surrender and just stay seated and hang on to it. And I'm going to come back and, and ask for one more thing. Let's pray together we to get ready to do this, Lord. I ask that you would right now bring clarity to the hearts and minds of us all, that we would see where there needs to be surrender. I know that there are some here today who've never surrendered their life to you by grace through faith in Christ alone. And I pray today they would write down their name on that flag and say, Lord, I surrender myself to you. For those who are your children, God, I pray that right now where there's an area that they've not surrendered to you that creates anger or anxiety or where there's disobedience, that they surrender that to you right now and be free. God bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I come and share that. Have them sing
1: for us.